0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from
1: HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Pellett, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, today looks a little withdrawn, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland.
0: They say the best things in life are free.
1: You're such a card.
0: <laughs> today we're Get all going the puns
1: out of the way early. Today, today
0: we're going to talk about automated teller machines or ATM machines. Oh, we'll also be talking about personal identification numbers or PIN numbers. <laughs> Five people
1: just paused the podcast so <laughs> that they could write us an angry email about the redundancy there. They
0: probably also went ahead and unsubscribed. <laughs> Possibly. Um, yeah, but we, in case, just for you people who have those pet peeves, and I totally understand, I'm not yes, criticizing. Share th- I,
1: I share those pet peeves. I
0: am not criticizing. You may very well hear me say ATM machine and or pen number at least once in this podcast as a way – and and not, not in a way to needle you. Just – that's – I. it's it's stamped in my brain that way.
1: Well, pin number two is also uh, a little bit more useful than ATM machine since pin is also a pin. you have your pin?
0: Yeah. Oh! Right, right. <laughs> no, the number. Exactly. Do you have your personal identification number? So, yes, we're talking about ATMs today. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, we've had a few people ask us about how ATMs work. We assume it was all on the up and up. Not to find out how they work so that you can exploit them. Uh, I did
1: find out an article about how to hack into one.
0: Wow. Well, and that gets a little complicated. We'll talk about that, Uh, why that is in the case. Yeah, Um, yeah, because it it really does depend. Mm -hmm. But uh, first, let's talk about how ATMs uh, came to be. Okay. That's somewhat in dispute. Yes. Um, There there are multiple people who were uh, inventing... Things that resemble what ATMs are today in different parts of the world around the same time. Mm-hmm. Although the earliest one I could find was uh, from a Mr. Luther Simjian. Yes. Who was born in Turkey. Uh, he was the son of Armenians who were uh, – sadly, his family was was uh, broken up during a, a genocide in mm-hmm. the early 20th century. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he eventually immigrated to the United States. And he came up with an idea that eventually he called the Bankmatic Automated Teller Machine. So that's where we get ATM. Mm-hmm. That's he, hes the one who came up with the term. And uh, this was around 1939. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was—it doesn't really resemble the way ATMs look and and act now. Yeah. But it was an idea of a of an a machine that would dispense money, uh, and it was run for a six month trial. Mm-hmm. At the Citibank of New York, which we now call Citibank. Yes. Uh, and uh, after the six months, the trial ended and Citibank decided not to extend the trial, not to implement it. And um, at least according to one source I read, the reason behind it was that it just didn't get a lot of traction. The, yeah. The people, people just didn't want to use a machine to interact with their bank accounts. They preferred to have a person to person interaction in a bank. And, um, apparently the people who were using it were a bunch of ne'er-do-wells.
1: Yeah, I read about that too. Yeah, Basically, I- they, they, the idea being that the only people who would not want to talk to a teller are the people who would prefer that you didn't know they were depositing or withdrawing money in the first place.
0: Yeah, so we're talking about
1: people, people. with ill-gotten gains.
0: Yes, yeah, gamblers, for example. Oh, that places, would be a good example. In places where gambling was not legal. And, uh, you know, you might not want to have to answer tricky questions like, how did you come upon this sum of money, my good man?
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Uh, so anyway, that was the first recorded Incidents I could find of someone trying to create an ATM. Uh, yes, and again, it was it was an interesting experiment that ultimately failed at that time.
1: Yeah. Now, a lot of what I read about the early days of ATMs, um, they weren't ATMs. They didn't function like today's machines no. do. Um, in some cases, you needed a special card that wasn't actually tied to your your bank account. In fact, a lot of them used credit cards yeah. instead um, for a long time credit cards were looked down upon yeah um, but um, some of
0: them used special vouchers or coins yes and, a in, token
1: yeah in Britain you had to uh, on one of the early trials you had to go inside and get a voucher you would get a ten pound voucher. So if you wanted 50 pounds, you'd have to get five vouchers that you'd take outside of the machine.
0: Which raises the question, why would you not just go and withdraw the money directly while you're there? Unless, of course, you just wanted the convenience of being able to get at 10 pounds at any given time in the future. And I guess that's the argument you'd have to make. Like instead of walking out of the bank with 50 pounds, which you know you may or may not need at that time, you could have uh, five 10-pound vouchers and then – as the, as you go about your business throughout the coming days, you realize, oh, I need some more walking around money or getting about money, as I like to say. Uh, you would go and use one of those vouchers to get some more money out, but it did seem to decrease the convenience factor <laughs> of the automated teller machine somewhat. But yeah, in this case, you wouldn't need, uh, a card with stuff encoded on it. You would just need your voucher to put in and then it would spit money out. It became like a money vending machine.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, in 1968 in Britain, there was a uh, several banks used a device um, that would use uh, a card. Yeah. But not a card that you always carried with you. It basically worked like the voucher. You'd stick the card in the machine. You would get your money out and the machine would keep your card which is kind of a pain in the neck.
0: Yeah, uh, it's uh, kind of what happens to you now when your machine eats your card. And, uh, I've and, had that happen. Yeah, I've had that happen too. That is not a good feeling, is it? No. Um, yeah, except this time, in this case, we're talking about it doing it on purpose. Uh, yeah, so some of the other players in this space, and this mainly, the real development of ATMs beyond the early 1939 example, took place in the 60s. Yes. So you had people like James Goodfellow, Who uh, He secured a patent on an ATM-like machine in 1966. He also came up with the idea of storing a personal identification number on a magnetic strip that would be printed on the back of a card. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that would become the ATM card eventually. Uh, They had also John D. White who Mm -hmm. invented a freestanding automated teller machine. A lot of these other machines were built into – the corner of a building. It was actually part of a, an, a larger structure. Um, this was more of a, a freestanding um, a machine. Uh, and then there's uh, John Shepard Barron, who I think I think uh, most sources I saw credited him as the true father of the ATM. Really? Yeah, John Shepard Barron, because he was the guy who created the first real, fully electronic automated teller machine. And, uh, and it, the very first one was installed in Barclays Bank in London in 1967. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but you also had Don Wetzel. Who yeah, was I thought in, you were going to say him. Now, he was working in America and his machine started coming out around 1968. And he was known to have worked at least in part on uh, Shepard Barron's work as well. He kind of took Shepard Barron's work and then uh, changed things like enhance things and drop some things and included other things. So uh, sort of used it as a launching point for his own work. So you get a lot of conflicting information about who is really the inventor of the ATM. I think part of it depends on where you're from. If yeah. you're from England, then it's John Shepard Barron.
1: Yeah, in, uh, in 1995, um, the National Museum of American History, the Smithsonian, recognized Wetzel um, and his company Docutel, which was a baggage handling company, yeah. um, as the the people who uh, created the ATM, so I, I
0: it's yeah. I guess it, like I said, it all depends on who you ask. Sort of like television, yeah, or radio, mm-hmm. yeah. There, like many other inventions, there's um the the stor- the real story is far more complicated than just a factoid that you'll find in a history book. Yeah. Uh, now go um, ahead.
1: I was going to say now, even though in the '60s, um, ATMs became a lot more common. Banks started as, uh, including them as part of their services. Um, and, as a matter of fact, uh, the Fortune article I read by uh, Ellen Florian mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, Doris Burke and Jenny Miro basically was saying that uh, they, they quoted a, a chemical bank. Uh, advertisement and said, um, on September 2nd, our bank will open at 9 o'clock and will never close again. Yeah. And that was the uh, Rockville Center branch at 10 North Village Avenue on Long Island.
0: Yeah, the idea being that, of course, you could access your account at any time and make withdrawals or transfers or whatever without having to go into the bank. Because, of course, the reason why uh, people are coming up with this uh, in the first place was for convenience because bank hours are notoriously... um Short, yeah.
1: <laughs> like,
0: bank, that well,
1: people talk about bankers' hours,
0: yeah. Where you well, know, in order to actually go and visit the bank, you might have to take time out of your workday, yeah. In order to you know, and then you have to go in, inside a bank and stand in line. See, for some of our listeners, this is going to sound completely foreign to them, yeah. Because apart from maybe opening up a bank account or perhaps going in for a loan or something like that. You just don't have to do that anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to do the the day-to-day stuff, depositing a check, finding out how much money you have in the bank, making withdrawal, uh, maybe even transferring money between accounts, you can do all that in an ATM.
0: Yeah. In some cases, you can do some of that through online banking as well. So, sure. So we've we've almost completely eliminated the need to go into a physical space. Yes. Uh, But back in the day, it used to be that if you wanted to do anything to do with your money, uh, you had to go and stand in line and wait to talk to a teller and then they'd pull up your records and you'd, you'd you know, do all that in person, face to face. And actually in the 60s, back when, uh, back when these were launching, uh, again, the people weren't flocking to them. Immediately, uh, there were, In fact, some banks were a little skeptical that people would ever want to interact with a machine as opposed to a human. They thought that the human interaction was a key component of the banking process. Yeah, And it really wasn't until the 80s that ATMs started to truly take off.
1: Well, uh, the Fortune article actually has a particular event that they credit with the takeoff of the ATM. And what might that be? Well as it turns out it took Mother Nature's involvement to spur people to use the ATM according it, to them.
0: It's not nice to fool Mother Nature.
1: <laughs> no. We know what side of the bread your butter the, never mind.
0: All right, go ahead. Anyway,
1: uh in January nineteen seventy eight uh-huh. in New York, they got seventeen inches of snow, which slowed business to a crawl because a lot of places couldn't open. Yep. And they said um Again, this is citing the Fortune article. Um, there was a commercial that Citibank released saying, um, "You know, hey, you can use these machines anytime, whether the bank's open or not." Uh, and they they had a new tagline: "The city never sleeps." C I T I. Nice. nice. Yeah. Um, and it said, um, "I see what they did there." The, the machines' use increased twenty percent during the storm, and by 1981, uh, Citibank's market share in New York City. Uh, deposits had doubled, and so the rest of the banks moved to catch up, and that basically started a revolution, at least in New York. Um, of course, that's a lot of people, so that uh, that can affect things. And people go in there and see how people are using the ATMs, and they go back home. You know.
0: Yep. Yeah, it, it, and like I said, in the 80s, it really started to take off. So, I guess now we can finally start getting into what makes up an ATM and how they, how they actually work. Uh, now part of this involves the way that we access the ATMs, uh, and, and not just with the key, the keypad or the touch screen, depending upon the, the model that you're using, mm-hmm. but the card you have, your yes. ATM card, whatever you're using to access the ATM. And there are variations on this, but, all of them have a, uh, a magnetic stripe or mag stripe on them. <laughs> and, uh, you might say, well, what the heck is a magnetic stripe? Well, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, a, a plastic-like film mm-hmm. that's on the back of your card that has lots and lots and lots of tiny iron-based magnetic particles.
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, it's very similar, if not nearly identical, to uh, the material that they used to use in uh, recording tape.
0: Yeah, cassette tapes.
1: Cassette tapes, reel-to-reel tapes, 8-track tapes, also uh, floppy disks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the material inside there. I mean, that's even most of them are even the same brownish color.
0: Right. And the way you write to this strip is that you, you magnetize these little uh, particles. Each of the particles acts like its own bar magnet. Mm-hmm. Alright, and you magnetize them to either have a north or south pole direction, uh, on each particle. And so, that's like bits, zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. So, by creating them in a, either a north or south pole direction, uh, and then you, you, have got thousands of these, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in one strip. You can encode information that way. And that information is going to have things like the, uh, the account number on it, mm-hmm. so that it, it has you know it's able to say this card belongs to this account mm-hmm. uh, it may also have the um, the pin on there the personal identification number right so that you can uh, have that as sort of a, a key pass entry you know as long as the pin that you enter into the ATM matches the one that's on the card and in the account as long as all three of those are are the same then you'll be able to access your information. Mm-hmm. So that's on your card, which means, of course, that the ATM has to have some sort of card reader mm-hmm. involved, which, you know, it's a magnetic stripe reader that, you know, depending on the style of the ATM, it may be one where you put your card in and it sucks it into the machine and you hope when your transaction's over, it will spit it back out again. Mm-hmm. Or what I see most commonly now are the kinds where you swipe it. You either have a, a vertical swipe where you just swipe the card down the side of uh, a little reader or you insert it into a slot and pull it back out again quickly. Yeah. And in either case, the what happens is those little magnets go past a, a detector. Mm-hmm. And because the magnets are in motion, it, you, the detector detects the difference of the magnetism on each of those little bars and can read that as – whatever the information is.
1: Yeah. So all the information that's printed on the card, um, the number that's embossed in the card and your yep. name, the machine is not reading or looking at any of that stuff. It's taking everything from the magnetic
0: stripe. Which is why you should not put your your credit cards or ATMs, cards or anything like that near powerful magnets. Right. Because that could actually uh, realign those little magnetic particles inside the film. It, it, some people call it demagnetizing, but really it's just realigning those poles. So it, it no longer – it might spout out gibberish now when you mm-hmm. when you swipe it. Or uh, anyway, it's not going to correspond with your information, and suddenly your card doesn't work anymore.
1: Yeah. You can also find the same thing if you've used it too much or if the magnetic stripe gets dis- uh, damaged in some way. Or dirty. Um, you know, some people say yeah. that eel skin wallets –
0: yeah, I hear that a lot that. because you know, and there are a lot of different theories about. Actually, the theory I've heard that seems to explain it the most, or it seems to be the most uh, logical to me, eel skin uh, wallets. Some people claim came from electric eels, and that it somehow has some sort of electric impulse still stored in it, and that's what's screwing up the uh, the the cards. Count me skeptical on that one. Exactly, uh, but a lot of these have a magnetic clasp.
1: Uh, So that
0: when you close it, it it remains closed. And the magnetic clasp, depending on how your card is – how you're storing your card in the the wallet, uh, the stripe might be close enough to the magnetic clasp that the magnetic clasp is is realigning those magnetic particles in the film. Mm -hmm. So don't do that.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. So once that uh, – you have the uh, magnetic card reader. We yeah. talked about that, and and basically the information is going into a computer.
0: Yeah, there's um, a very basic CPU inside every ATM, and it, in fact, a lot of them run Windows. Yeah, yeah, which we'll get to. Uh, the earlier ATMs were all proprietary. Oh yeah,
1: you now, know that was when you, if you had uh, an account with um, Bank Something, you know, First National Bank, and you wanted to go to Second National Bank. You were on your own. Yeah, you have to find an ATM for with First National Bank, or you are out of luck.
0: Yeah, because your card wouldn't work. The system wasn't compatible. Uh, however, it also meant that those ATMs had the benefit of security through obscurity. That's true. Because uh, a, a would-be thief would have to focus on a particular type of ATM mm-hmm. and. The, the things that might work on that ATM would not necessarily work on ATMs for other banks. Yeah. So it somewhat limited the liability and the vulnerability of those machines. Once the machines started to move toward more computer based operating systems like Linux and Windows, mm-hmm. then you opened up new opportunities for thieves to target specific parts of the ATM infrastructure and, uh, and made it in some ways more vulnerable than the older models. Now, I say that, but the truth is you can actually find these older model ATMs on plenty of sites like eBay mm-hmm. where you could buy an ATM if you wanted to. And if your goal was to deconstruct, to hack this ATM so you would learn how it works, you could potentially find vulnerabilities in that system to exploit. Don't do that. It's illegal. You don't want to do that. Uh, but – there that that is one of the downsides to the old systems too is that you know it's not like these things were it's not like you had to have a license to own one mm-hmm. you know you just had to buy one yeah. so you just had to find someone willing to sell one and then you could buy it so uh but yes you've got your cpu in there uh however the atm is not its own standalone um machine like it, it it's not that it's it's disconnected from the outside world
1: no, but if you if you think about it, it's it's very much like the computer that sits on your desktop or laptop. So you've got a screen yep. for a customer uh, for basically it's an output device. Yep. You've got a printer that prints print out receipts. your receipts. Yep. You've got an input device, or maybe two. You might have a touch screen. You might have a keypad. Yeah. Uh, to type in numbers, mm-hmm. or both. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and hopefully you- both for those of uh, people who have vision impairments. Right.
1: Right. And then you also have uh, uh, basically an internet connection. It, it may be uh, on a private network, yeah. It might of be of some kind,
0: yeah. Very. It might be a, a closed off private connection, but it goes to a uh, whatever bank is behind that particular ATM. Yeah, it'll have a network
1: connection of some type to communicate with a, a server somewhere that has account information on it. Yeah. So if you have three three hundred dollars in your account, and you want to withdraw. Twenty dollars, it will say, "Okay, well, Jonathan's got three hundred dollars, so I can give him twenty dollars, and he's withdrawn twenty dollars, so it makes a note of that in the account. So it says now he has two hundred and eighty left."
0: Yeah, yeah. The way this works is that so you you, you could think of the uh, especially the older ATMs um, were really thin clients. Yeah, they were. They were you know the the it had essentially enough power for it to read the strip, to uh, in, uh to to allow you to input your pin mm-hmm. and to display the information but then what it would do is uh, the terminal that you're using would connect to a host processor mm-hmm. now this would be a computer that belongs to whatever financial institution again is owns that atm mm-hmm. Now, if that's your bank, then that's pretty much where this ends. It goes, it refers to your account, make, it, it, it confirms that you, that you are who you say you are and that, at least according to your pen, and that, uh, you have the funds that you require in order for you to get whatever it is you're asking. So again, like in your example, that, that you have at least $20 you can withdraw. Right. Um, and then it'll send the information back to the, uh, machine that you're at and, Either confirm that it can dispense the cash or deny it. Mm-hmm. And then the machine does whatever it's supposed to do. Uh, if your bank is a different bank, then what happens is the, it'll go to the host processor. The host processor will then route that request to the specific financial institution that you belong to mm-hmm. and get the permission there. And then your bank essentially will wirelessly transfer funds to the financial institution in charge of that ATM and then that financial institution will allow the ATM to dispense cash because the money has been you know it's not losing money it's had the wireless transfer from your bank uh this is also why you'll find a lot of ATMs have those fees on them yes the usage fees because otherwise you know it's just an access thing that you know banks are doing out of the goodness out of their hearts but these are bankers mm-hmm. we know they don't have that right oh. bankers and lawyers right oh man so um hey I wrote, I watched the documentary A Christmas Carol I know how this works <laughs> uh so so in order to make money off of these transactions that's why you have that usage fee because you know It's going to charge you for the whole process of having the money transferred from your financial institution to the bank. And depending upon the way that the different financial institutions operate, you might actually have multiple fees on one transaction, which is really irritating.
1: Yeah, that's when you get the fee from the second national bank from using its ATM and then the fee from the first national bank. For wirelessly
0: transferring the money to second national (laughs) bank.
1: You should have used our ATM
0: yeah that's oh, that's terrible. However, one of the bright sides of using ATMs is that if you're in a foreign country mm-hmm. and you're using your card, it's automatically making the, uh, the exchange exchange and it usually makes that exchange at a like you know normally if you go into a financial institution to exchange currency from one format to another, mm-hmm. there's a fee. Placed on top of that, so no. yes, so you're not going to get a, a perfect exchange from whatever currency you're using to whatever you need. Uh, you're going to have some of that money taken out. But usually, if you're using an ATM in a foreign country, you you, you tend to get one of the you, you normally get a really favorable rate. Mm-hmm. You know, it won't be as dramatic as it would be if you were to go into some money changing place. Anyway, getting off to- topic here. So, uh. That's the process going on behind the scenes. Now, when the money is actually coming out, mm-hmm. how does the ATM know that it's giving you the right amount of money?
1: Well, it has to. Basically, it has cassettes in there with mm-hmm. the different bills. So, assuming that things are lined up correctly,
0: yeah, assuming that the person who's loaded the ATM has done so
1: in the proper way, then it should be dispensing the right number of bills. Now, it also goes by thickness. Yeah, so it should be able to tell. Um, if if you are getting say two bills out, right? Uh, let's say two twenties, you want forty dollars. Um, then it should be able to go. Okay, there are two, because I, I can tell by the thickness of these bills. Yeah. Um.
0: So yeah, you've got you've got a couple of different so- types of sensors inside the ATM. There's usually an electrical eye sensor, some sort of optical sensor that is optically verifying that the the denominations that are being dispensed match what you asked for. Yes. And then there's also uh, the thickness sensor so that if uh, if it's supposed to be doing it one bill at a time and the thickness sensor says, wait a minute, that's too thick for it to be one bill. right? It will send that particular bill or pair of bills or whatever it happens to be to a reject bin. Mm-hmm. Inside the ATM, so the ATM has has a, a bin that collects rejects. And this can also be bills that are worn or torn. Yes. If right. uh, if it detects that, then it's going to send it to the reject bin, uh, and so the bin's just going to keep collecting bills that get rejected through this process. And uh, it's all taking just a few seconds. So. You know, you might be waiting a little bit, but thinking like, uh, whatever. Well, meanwhile, the machine is making sure that it's dispensing the right number and and denomination of bills to you. Yeah. Um, there's also an electronic journal Mm -hmm. that's part of an ATM so that it's recording every transaction it 's happening with that machine, and it also records whenever any bill gets sent to the reject bin mm-hmm. and that way, when someone comes in to service the machine either to refill it or to fix it or whatever, they can take a look at the journal and see uh, you know how frequently are is the reject bin getting a, a bill sent to it and if it's happening a lot, that might mean that either the uh, sensors need to be adjusted, mm-hmm. or that the feeding mechanism needs to be adjusted so that it 's no longer pulling more than one bill at a time, uh, or it might mean that the actual bills that are being put into the machine are of two they're not they 're not fresh enough mm-hmm. that you know that something needs to change this one 's a little stale, yeah exactly because. Too many of them are going into the, the reject bin.
1: Right. So, so, so it's got built, built in error correction, if you will.
0: Yeah. It's, and, and some of that again is mechanical and some of it's just saying, Hey, stop putting crappy money in me <laughs> because I can't give it to anyone. Right. And the bank's like, but we don't want to give money to anyone. Yes. I know. And then they twirl their mustaches and leap into a giant uh, vault full of gold coins, which by the way, hurts. Yeah, I don't know how Scrooge McDuck did it. No, man, I I scratched that one off my bucket list, and then I I also broke an arm, so not I do not recommend it.
1: However, if you invest tuppence,
0: anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, fat birds. <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, I mean, it it is basically uh, a computer with a couple's uh, special, sophisticated um, ways to. Handle error correction. Oh, and I also um, wanted to mention that the journal—the journal—sort of serves two purposes. One, it helps keep track of what's going on with the machine, so that can you you could see the machine's working correctly. Also, provides an accounting uh, in case there's ever any dispute about what the, the machine was dispensing, or whether there was a question about um, how the machine was used. And of course, now um, uh, ATMs also usually have some kind of security camera yeah. uh, nearby
0: yes yeah, so you watch
1: can, that uh, people are who they say they are
0: yeah so you can match up the the time on the security camera with the time that was listed in the journal and mm-hmm. go back and review footage mm-hmm. uh, if someone has if any of you out there have ever had your card number and and pen stolen yeah. so that someone else has accessed your account through an ATM, you realize of course this would be a really important feature. Uh, I'm one of those people, by the way. Yeah. Well,
1: that's that, actually uh, that was
0: real, but my bank was very good at letting me know mm-hmm. and was very proactive in making sure that that got uh fixed. So. Yep.
1: yeah. Now that's that's true these uh this, these machines are sophisticated and and specialized but they're also uh, in some ways, not so sophisticated that they can't be fooled yeah. or not not necessarily fooled, but um, also that other people can come along and, and take information by using devices such as skimmers, Yeah. which can be put over the, the card reader. Um, and basically, it is usually a very slim, uh, compact device that can read the magnetic strip on there. Uh, on the card. So basically what happens is if, if a scammer has installed a skimmer on an ATM, when you put your card through it, both the skimmer and the ATM are reading the card number. Yeah. Now, the pin block, the, um, in the United States, federal regulations require that the pin block, which is the four digit pin, uh, information,
0: yeah.
1: um, must be encrypted when it's sent along. So, right. uh, to some degree, uh, you would be protected if just your number was going through the skimmer because you would need the pin block uh, encrypted, uh, you know, and it's encrypted on the card. So it can't, uh, the machine has to decipher that. The skimmer can't do that. So what the scammers do, they will, they will install a very tiny camera. You know, cameras are teeny tiny these days. You know, we've got them in our smartphones and other types of phones. Um, they're sitting on top of our laptops and and, and computers because they're so small. Um, people can in small of, in small install a small camera right above the area where the uh, you Key type in your is, number. Yeah,
0: and then they'll they'll record your keypad punches. And then what they'll do is they'll match the keypad punch to the information that they've skimmed off your card. And then they've got essentially your card uh, number and your pin. All in one place and can then access money from your account uh, at any ATM.
1: And a lot of cases, too, they don't try to take as much as they can get. A lot of cases, um, banks that I know of here in the United States will give you a maximum amount a day, usually something like $300 per day. Um, A lot of times these scammers won't do that. They'll take out. Twenty dollars, yeah. And because, they, because the idea, the
0: idea being that it'd be harder to detect.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I must have. I must have taken out. I don't remember what I what that was, but it wasn't that much. It wasn't like somebody was scamming me.
0: Yeah. Although, if you do, if you which this, by the way, is why it's important for you to review your uh, your bank statements on a regular basis, uh, because you may notice that you're withdrawing money from places that you are not physically at. Yeah. Like Los Angeles, mm-hmm. or something. When you're not in L.A. If you're in L.A. and you see that you've withdrawn from L.A., you may very well have been the person to have done that. I don't mean to say that any withdrawal from L.A. is obviously fraudulent. (laughs) Right. People who (laughs) people People do legitimately everything's haunted. Does this mean I have to drive to San Jose if I want to withdraw money? (laughs) Yes, that is what I meant. Um, there are some some people working
1: on newer types of uh, verification technology. Yeah. I saw one they're trying out in Poland, which is uh, using biometrics. They do a scan of your finger, and they don't use your fingerprint. They're looking at the veins in your finger.
0: Which is pretty smart because, again, fingerprints, you can lift a fingerprint, and you can fake fingerprint readers. It. The more sophisticated the detection de- device, the less likely someone's gonna go through all the trouble to, um, to fool it because it is a lot of, I mean, it takes a lot of investment just to get the stuff to, to be able to fool these devices. But yeah, if you wanna, you know, fingerprint is not foolproof because you could lift a print off of something and then create a latex print, uh, and, uh, fool some machines using that. We've seen that happen before. Um, there's also, uh, I know you mentioned the the cameras, but we should also mention some uh, some skimmers will also use a fake keypad.
1: Ah, uh, yes, which, that's true. Or is, an overlay.
0: Yeah, which is a, essentially a key logger that's logging up uh, pin entries. So if you ever walk up to an ATM and and it looks like parts of the machine don't match up exactly, like the, the it's just a different coloration or made out of a different material and it just looks a little odd. That's a warning sign. It yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that a skimmer has hit that machine. It may just be that that particular machine was manufactured in an odd way. But anything that looks a little out of place should be a big red flag to you. And, uh, and I would highly recommend that if you do notice something when you walk up to an ATM uh, that's like that, that you find a different one. Don't use that one.
1: Yeah, and, and keep in mind where it is, too. The more isolated... ATMs are more likely to be the ones that uh, scammers are going to target because they'll be easier to modify. Yeah, Um, because
0: this stuff takes a little bit of time and effort and if you're doing it in a high traffic area, someone's going to notice.
1: Yeah, like for example, uh, the the ATMs that you might see in a popular gas station um, are a whole lot likely a whole lot more likely to be okay because if a cashier is standing right across from it all day long, it's unlikely that uh, a scammer is going to have the, uh, the time to install those devices without getting caught doing yeah. it. Or hey, what place, are you doing?
0: Or something like a busy airport. Yeah. Where there's yeah. a lot of security already there. I mean it's just it's such a it would be such a high risk endeavor that it would uh you know, you look at risk versus reward from a thief standpoint, yeah. it'd be less likely to be hit. That's not saying that some enterprising thief hasn't no, tried it. Nope, nope. But uh but it's less likely.
1: Yeah. Well in fact we've had a we had a rash here in uh the Atlanta area not terribly long ago where people were Knocking over ATMs with their cars and just taking the or ATM. Or
0: forklifts or bulldozers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically. Also, because it's
1: easier to, to crowbar your way into one than, than bother trying to, uh. Because we didn't mention that. Decode the software. Part
0: of the ATM is it's a safe. Yeah. You know, it's, there's a safe that's inside these machines. That's where all the money is kept in a vault, in a safe, in the machine. So if you were to take the whole machine, you're taking the vault. Now, before, before any of you say, Hey, I'm going to go on a life of crime and start knocking over ATM machines. Uh, ATMs. Oh, I knew, I told you at the beginning of the show that it was going to happen. I caught myself, but I told you it was going to happen. Um, a lot of these have, uh, things inside the vault that if, uh, if stuff goes wrong, yeah. it will ruin the money inside there. <laughs> like essentially little, little explosive charges usually. Mm. Some of them have, um, Explosive charges full of gas, uh, so that if if a thief is trying to use a gas explosion to uh, to open the vault, that it actually has gas that counteracts the explosive gas, rendering it inert. So in that in that case, it's not necessarily destroying the money inside; it's just trying to destroy the the methodology that the thief is using to get the vault open. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's some other tech involved here that's kind of interesting. Um, now. I use ATMs. I mean, I I yeah. I, I try to be careful about it and I try to keep a good eye on making sure that whatever device I'm using looks, you know, totally legit and everything. Uh it's it, it's uh, so, so I'm not saying that ATMs are so dangerous that no one should use them, but it does bear repeating that you should be vigilant and pay attention when you come up to an ATM. Don't just, you know, walk up and ignore all uh uh all safety especially you know not just the machine itself but you know it's always good to take a quick look around you to make sure you're not going to be uh, mugged <laughs> I've never been mugged I don't want it to happen I'm going to try and keep that streak going uh, but yeah that's that's one of those things is that you know banks often would tell customers to you know certain follow certain safety guidelines and and be alert when you're using those machines and you know make sure you have your card ready before you go up to one and uh and and uh, you know don't don't linger don't count your money as you're uh until the dealing's done I guess <laughs> um but don't count your money right there at the machine you know don't give thieves the opportunity to pounce on you uh in that in those cases now of course if you're in a nice busy street and there's a lot of people around you're probably in better shape than uh you know, talk about in the middle of the night after you've gone clubbing all night long, and you need that cash because you're about to go to that all night uh, pancake house uh, that only accepts cash. You know, just bear in mind your surroundings and the situation, and yeah. be careful.
1: Yes. Also, it never hurts to uh, try to cover your hand when you're typing in your PIN. Yeah. Because um, even if you don't see the little camera. It is possible that it may be one somewhere around, so right. it, it's just a uh, good habit to get into. Oh, it makes it really hard to type in your PIN correctly, I've found. Um, yeah. Oh, man.
0: God. Well, you just got to use one like I do. Zero, 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 it just goes right oh, through. One, two, three, four. <laughs> that's what I use in my luggage. Um,
1: yeah, the, uh, there, there is one exception. I mean, with all the, the um, uh, thousands of these machines that are, there are everywhere in the world, Um I know it is likely that um, the more remote machines are the ones that would be targeted by scammers. However, if you find yourself at the McMurdo Station in Antarctica and use the ATM there, it's probably not been hacked.
0: No, but I can't guarantee that. It only dispenses frozen herring. Yeah.
1: No, there actually is an ATM at McMurdo Station in Antarctica. I don't know Why? But I saw it mentioned in several of the articles I was using for research. I guess just because it's so weird that there would be one there.
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of wonder what you need cash for in Antarctica.
1: So, so you want to report fraud? Yes. So what? What? What did he look like? Well, he was wearing a tuxedo. Yeah, he was about two feet tall. About two feet tall,
0: and and that's just most of
1: the people on him. Most of the people on this block of ice. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, on that note, we're going to uh, – not a bank note either. We're going to wrap this up. So, guys, uh, if you have any questions about types of technology you want to know more about or maybe a company or a person in technology you want to know more about, send us an email. Our address is techstuff at HowStuffWorks.com or drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle there is TechStuffHSW. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks
0: iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.